0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick
1: in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, don't, don't make it.
2: Charlotte, we're back.
1: Welcome in to another BuzzBeat podcast. Uh, it's Brian Geisinger here. No Spencer Percy, no Richie Randall today uh, as we go ahead and continue our preview edition series uh, for the 2021-2022 NBA season uh, on the Southeast Division. Uh, Richie recorded with Beyond the Arcade uh, to do a preview for the the Magic season, um, and we're going to get into the Atlanta Hawks tonight. These are just a good way to get get ready for the season and talk with some people that that know these teams, um, you know, a little bit better. Then we do. We've got Miami and Washington uh, coming in the pipeline as well. So should be some good stuff. and then we'll also have a big Hornets preview pod uh, before the season starts as well. And it's crazy preseason games, training camp, media days, like all that stuff is like happening now or right around the corner. Make sure to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast. If you haven't already, we really or you're a new listener. Um, We always appreciate that, and uh, it helps with uh, the yield algorithm. Um, But without further ado, let's go ahead and and hop into this. I'm joined by a great guest tonight. Um, This is, in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best, uh, you know, Atlanta Hawks follow that you can pick up on Twitter. Uh, Contributor over at Peachtree Hoops, uh, Andrew Kelly at Twitter, at A N D. L-A-N-K-E-L-L. I hope I spelled that right. Anyways, Andrew, welcome in and, and thanks for uh, for joining us. How are you doing, man?
3: I'm good. You did spell it right, by the way.
1: <laughs> but yeah, All right. I'm glad, All yeah, right. uh, recording on a Friday night. I'm getting ready for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. And, and really, what better way to kick off a weekend than to talk about uh, you know, Trey Young pick and rolls and, and John Collins extensions and that sort of stuff. Um, but this is great. I've, I've known Andrew for a little bit, just interacting on on Twitter. And uh, this is the first, I believe this is the first I'm hearing his voice. So really groundbreaking moment in Southeast Division uh, podcast history here. But let's go ahead and, and jump right in. You know, the Hawks really, <laughs> really put together quite a charmed season uh, a year ago. Uh, I think really one of the more entertaining and um, fun teams in the league, great roster, lots of talent, the incredible run, uh, you know, getting to within what two games, I guess, uh, of, of making the NBA finals.
3: Yeah. Two games.
1: Yeah. Two games. Yes. the, The Milwaukee six game series here, you know, and, and obviously thing, the season really took a turn after they made the coaching change from Lloyd Pierce, to Nate McMillan, uh, Hawks go twenty-seven and eleven in the regular season. Once they flip the switch uh, to Nate, they beat New York and Philadelphia uh, in, in the playoffs, and really have just sent <laughs> the Sixers franchise into a state of disarray uh, that which continues uh, into the uh, into what you know the precipice of the 2021-2022 the 20, season. But um, look, Andrew, it's probably hard, or maybe even you know a little reductive, to break it down to just you know one to two things. But when Nate McMillan took over it's just impossible to ignore how good this team got could you speak on the job uh, that Nate did and maybe boil it down to sort of like one or two things that really like helped the Hawks uh, take off uh, the back half of the season in, into a deep playoff run
3: yeah I mean you really can't say enough about the job that Nate McMillan did I mean when he was when he initially took the job as a uh, assistant coach he always knew there' was a decent probability that things might go awry, and he could find himself in the head coaching position, and that's exactly what transpired. Um, but he obviously did a very good job. For a few, There's a few different things that he made some changes from Lloyd Pierce. Uh, the first is that the pace just really slowed down. LP was always a, a guy who really liked to pu- push the tempo. Uh, Nate McMillan is just more half-court oriented. Um, they were 22nd in pace under McMillan and uh, 16th under Lloyd Pierce. Um, another, you know, key area of change was they actually have a worse uh, shot profile. So if you go to cleaning the glass and you look at the shot mix on there, if you look at location effective <laughs> field goal percentage, um, it got a lot worse, which is kind of interesting. Uh, in spite of the success, uh, they had, they were twenty sixth in the league actually for location effective field goal percentage, which is a pretty stark decline um, from tenth under Lloyd Pierce. So they slowed things down. Um, they took more mid range shots, but. You know, you can also take more mid-range shots when you have guys like Bogdanovich and you have Kevin Herder and you have Trey Young, who were just so good with those floaters. It makes sense to kind of seek out those shots uh, a little bit more. But one key area where they really started to improve, I think, was that under Lloyd Pierce, uh, they were more static offensively. Like they didn't have a lot of ball movement. Um, if you look at second spectrum data, they were 28th in the league in off-ball screens under Lloyd Pierce. And then um, under Nate McMillan, they improved to 11th. So I think that was... Uh, a key area improvement was just doing more off the ball. Uh, this was especially beneficial for Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's a very good shooter off screens. Uh, they started to utilize him more in half court sets that way. Um, so doing more off ball, I think was a key area of improvement. And uh, finally, one other area where they just really improved under McMillan was uh, the fourth quarter. They were one of the first, uh, one of the worst fourth quarter teams in the league under Lloyd Pierce. They just had a lot of blowing leads and just couldn't execute down the stretch. Uh, They lack poise, and that improved dramatically under McMillan. So, um, you know, he slowed the pace down. They did more off-ball. They did have a worse shooting profile, so I think that's, you know, of note, and that's something that could be a factor potentially next year. But overall, I mean, Lloyd Pierce, I mean, excuse me, uh, Nate McMillan is just more old school, you know. He likes to make sure guys are getting their touches and getting involved, and I just think that he brought more of a calming presence. And, you know, that's that's more of a, I guess – you know, less tangible observation, but they were just more poised, I would say, under McMillan.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to think about the the shot profile being what it was when you have like a megawatt crater like tray, like running pick and roll. Like it feels like everything should just yeah. be like you know, pull up threes, kick out threes in like rim, you know? And that's interesting
3: Um, too, because that's really what Lloyd Pierce's system was. Like it was like a pretty, you know, straightforward spread pick and roll kind of Mm -hmm. offense where it was just, you know, trade as a quarterback and pick and roll over and over and over. then you have, you know, McMillan where he's like actually running floppy sets, you know, you don't see that too often anymore. He he does run that, but you know, he, he did a better job, I think of connecting pieces, you know, everybody kind of felt like they were part of the offense, uh, under McMillan that they may have not under under Pierce
1: yeah that's a great point point. and like you can tell I've actually gone and re I've, I've recently I've re-watched a couple uh and Hawks games um one was when Lloyd when, when LP was still coaching them and, and one was later in the season with Nate and obviously I watched Atlanta you know basically every game they played in the postseason you talked about those floppy sets like you know, floppy's not exactly like splitting the atom, but if you don't, you know, in terms of like off ball movement, I mean, people have been, that's like, a, you know, people have been running floppy for a long time. People are going to keep running floppy because it, it works. And, and you know, Nate is as, as sort of an old school approach to some aspects of, of how he, you know, how he runs program, but I love that set and they've got the guys to do it. Like they've, you know, you, you got, you have Kevin Herter, you have Bogdanovich, Cam Reddish, I know this was a bit of a lost year and we, for him, in, in certain ways, we can talk about Reddish more if we want to. But especially guys like Herder and Bogdanovich, just like the perfect guys to to bring off movement, put them in put them in off ball games like that. And I even loved how like on those on some of those floppy sets. Yes, you're trying to get Bogdanovich coming off a screen or Herter coming off a, a pin down. But I also kind of like that it it's it can scramble the defense a little bit while Trey's pounding it up top, and then all of a sudden he can just get it and go right down the middle. Like everyone starts focusing on, oh hell, you know, Bogdanovich is curling off a screen, he's hasn't missed in, you know, all night, and then all of a sudden Trey can just go one-on-one with the sort of with the defense bent. It's just a nice way to get a little bit of just um I don't know, off ball motion, scramble the defense around a little bit before just letting Trey get to his drive game and uh and and you know get downhill and get into the paint, which is something he's obviously um incredible at doing. And and I and I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about Trey. You can't just say it, you just cannot say enough about what this dude did in the playoffs. The numbers are bonkers. Twenty-nine, ten, uh, you know, nine threes nine three-point attempts per game, nine free throw attempts per game. Uh, just controlled everything. Had an answer for every pick and roll coverage that every team threw at him. It was amazing. Constantly turning the corner. If you took away that, he would counter, reject the screen, or get to his pull-up game. Just incredible on-the-fly problem solving. You know, for you when you when you look at Trey and what he did this season, and really coming on strong in the playoffs. What do you think struck out most about his development, either the fact that he sort of like held up um, defensively or just really like the, the pick and roll decision making and sort of where do you see Trey going, um, I, I guess, into what is what will now be his uh, his fourth NBA season?
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, you never really know what to expect from guys in their first playoff series, but it's just like, this is the player that he's been for several years Mm -hmm. now, you know, like there's nothing that really, I guess, surprised me too much, at least from the offensive side. I mean, this is just, you know, what he does. I mean, it's cool to see it on the big stage, you know, I mean, he had the game winner in his first playoff game on the road in like a very good garden environment. So that was obviously very impressive. Uh, He's somebody that really just kind of feeds off the crowd and, you know, people doing him Um, but really when I think about, you know, where can he grow going forward? I mean, I think that most people just kind of begin with, you know, the off ball stuff, you know, he's, he's very, very, very much an on ball player. Um, So that, that can be sort of problematic in some ways when you're trying to get other guys, you know, reps on the ball, like Kevin Herter, Bogdanovich, guys like that, but it's just so hard to take him off the ball too, because it's just, it's such pristine (laughs) offense where you can just give him the ball and pick and roll, you know, 20 plus times a game. And like, you're, you're scoring at a very efficient level, he's producing shots for others. So that's a difficult area to see him really making major strides. You know, yeah. but he's you know historically he's been a good you know catch and shoot shooter. So it'd be nice to get him more looks there and just get other you know other guys involved in the offense at times. But there really wasn't a ton that you know really surprised me. I, I, I think you, you made a comment earlier that um, his defense was maybe uh, less bad, I guess, than people yeah. expected in the playoffs. Um, I think some of that too is just that most players with the exception of like good primaries just don't have like the isolation abilities to really take advantage of a bad defender. You know, that gets you outside of your core offense in a lot of ways. So most, you know, most teams just don't have this secondary talent that can, you know, take advantage of these kind of matchups with Trey. You know, Reggie Bullock isn't mm-hmm. going to like burn Trey Young in isolation most of the time. Yeah. Um, so he was able to be hidden better than I think some people expected. He wasn't, you know, quite the detriment that I think people may have thought that he could be in the playoffs. And it was also kind of favorable matchup-wise too. Like neither New York nor Philly really had the personnel to like abuse him that some other teams mm-hmm. like Brooklyn might. But yeah, uh, I think off-ball is really where you like to see him grow uh, just reducing turnovers. That's, that's always a thing for young players. And I like to see him develop more of a mid range game too. He has that incredible floater, but it'd be nice to see him develop kind of like an elbow jumper, sort of an in-between game there too. Mm -hmm. So really a few, you know, kind of minor areas because his offense is just so good already. And, you know, obviously you'd like to see him get better from three. That's, that's another thing too, where, um, you know that his reputation doesn't quite match the results from him. You know, I think he shot 31% from from deep in the playoffs. He he has a very tough shot profile, so it's always tough to be efficient on those. And three point shooting is something that guys tend to get better on uh, over their career. So I would expect that with Trey too. But that's another area he can improve. You know, off ball, um, decision making, uh, mid range jump uh, mid range jumpers, and uh, I, th- I think just overall three point shooting is where he where he could uh,
1: stand or improve. Yeah, the pull-up 3 seems like the the sort of like the low-hanging fruit obvious thing to 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 get to. Like if he if he ever got that to like the the high 30s reliably, like I mean, he's already like kind of impossible to guard in the the pick and roll and I, I totally know what you mean about um about just like wanting the ball in his hands as much as possible. You know, someone who has followed the Hornets seriously uh the last, you know, decade or whatever, you know, I, Kemba Walker was not I don't think the sort of like north south passer and decision maker that Trey was, but yeah, you just you wanted it to be pick and roll with him because you're just like that they they couldn't ask for a better possession really than having this guy just sort of like spread out and, and like you know let him go to work and and it feels like the the mid range could be something that like he almost doesn't even need that until like he like loses a step, you know? And then he can like, as he like turns to like the back half of his career, a la Chris Paul or whatever, then he can really, yeah, you, know, exactly. maybe, maybe, you know, really yeah. get to that elbow game a little bit more. I feel what you're saying about the the matchups, maybe not being like less exploitable for teams to pick on him. And one of the Hornets games I was watching, you know, they recently, again, you know, they went at Trey with Hayward a lot uh, in two man actions with, Lamelo and it uh, had some success doing that, but do you think having so many long, rangy wing guys behind him, uh, or that guys that you can use to switch out, switch behind, the plate, your DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and then you have a guy like Clint Capella who phenomenal last season, and, and if you you know we can talk about Clint as well because he was so damn good. But do you think it makes Trey tougher to pick on when you've got that many guys? you've got three guys on the court at all times that can kick him out and switch out and, and if the if you know if teams are trying to put Trey in you know little screening actions and get a switch and then you you also have Capella at the rim do you think that kind of defensive personnel around Trey makes those matchups uh, tougher to get to because that by that point now. Now what is supposed to be a simple thing, like, oh, you just take this small guy and put him in a pick and roll and attack the switch. Now all of a sudden, uh, there's way more moving pieces going around behind the play.
3: Yeah, I, I think it has to. And when you just kind of look, you know, how Travis Lake has assembled this team to the draft, like, they have a lot of length on the perimeter. I mean, they have... DeAndre Hunter, he was just such a versatile defender. He can defend yeah. the point attack. He can defend forwards. I mean, he's just about as versatile as it gets from a wing defender. Uh, Cam Reddish is another guy who's a very effective one through three. Obviously, you mentioned earlier he wasn't you know, really healthy until the very end of the playoffs. But um, even Kevin Herter has improved a lot defensively. So they have mm-hmm. a lot of size on the wings, which is interesting because, you know, outside of Trey Young, the Hawks are really a big team. And I think that sometimes people forget that, you know, they play with two bigs. Um, they're very good at denying shots at the rim. Um, so I think they do have personnel that can kind of, you know, uh, hide him as, as best as possible. They have other guys they can use at the point of attack. And just in general, you know, when, when, when they have Collins and, and uh, Capella and DeAndre Hunter all out there, their defense can actually give teams more problems than I think people anticipate. Um, just for an example, if you look at cleaning the glass and you look at possessions where Hunter and Capella and Collins are all on the floor together. Um, this is only 471 possessions. So it's not a, a massive sample. Hunter got hurt early in the season, um, but they had a 95 and a half defensive rating. You know, that's a hundredth percentile. I'm not saying that's going to last over an extended mm-hmm. period of time, but there's a lot of advantages to play with two bigs. You know, you can wall off the paint, you can deny shots at the room. And when you have versatility, like, you know, the Hunter offers, it, it does make it a lot easier. to high tray. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, a stifling defense when you have a guy like Trey Young. You're just trying to get the stops when you need to, and I think yeah. you have the personnel
1: that can do that. Yeah, for sure. And, and having Capel, you know, rebound every miss too. It's like you can just close off possessions. Uh, yeah, every miss. So well, yeah, <laughs> he, he was incredible last season.
2: If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: But you, you brought up DeAndre Hunter and you brought up an injury, uh, the injuries last season that really, to an extent, stifled what was an awesome um, sophomore season. Look, I, I love DeAndre Hunter. Um, I cover the ACC. Uh, I loved DeAndre when he was a redshirt freshman at Virginia. You knew he was just built to play um, in the NBA, and it was really, really cool when healthy this season to see it to see it actually coming to fruition. Just a you know really talented and tantalizing young uh, two-way forward that can basically guard. I don't even know four positions, five positions. That you know do whatever you want with him defensively. And then really has sort of like a, a burgeoning offensive game. Um, you know, what's what do you think is next for first off? What stuck out with you, DeAndre, with the with Dre this season? In a, in sort of a again limited sample, just on because of the unfortunate injuries. And then and you can go in any direction you want here. What do you think is next for DeAndre? You know, getting to the rim more frequently, more self creation efforts, and and I guess based off that, you know. Do you also think it's important for him to sort of make that those steps in terms of self creation? Because does Atlanta need another guy next to Trey? They can obviously play this beautiful heliocentric offense that you and you, you and I were just talking about. But would it be good to be able to have? Well, yeah, obviously it would be good. I guess how how vital is it to have like more secondary creation around Trey going forward? And his Hunter that solution? Sorry, that was a long rambling question that I just spit out at you. I think there's a lot of different
3: uh, interesting areas that you you pointed out there. Just to begin with, when I think about how he improved uh, from his rookie season, I think the biggest thing that jumps out to, I think anybody that's watched him for, you know, a period of time is just how much better his handle got. You know, he, he dramatically improved his handle over this past season. He's always been a good mid-range shooter going back to UVA. I mean, yes, you watched him there. You're an ACC guy. He's always had that in his bag. Um, yeah. But the, the refinements that he made to his handle uh, in the offseason really allowed him to get to his spots, and he can just kill you from there When he, once he gets to mid-range. Um, just, to, just to look into some of the stats this year, um, his self-creation got way better. Um, he shot 52% uh, effective field goal percentage on self-created attempts. Um, this is using PVP stats as proxy, which, you know, it defines a self created attempt as holding the ball for two seconds or more. Um, so he shot 52% effective field goal percentage on those. And that's up from 40% as a rookie. So that's like a 12, you know, 12 point percentage yeah. increase. <laughs> you know, like I said, he's always been a good mid range shooter, but he just got way better at getting to his spots. And um, sort of a comparison I've made in some ways with him is he, he reminds me of Chris Middleton in some ways, just mm-hmm. the way that he can just really get to the spots of mid range and just, you know, assassinate teams it's, it's tough to deal with yeah. that i mean he was i might he only played yeah, i think like 21 something like that games this year um so i'm not saying that the numbers would have held up but when you look at what he shot from mid-range i mean he was you know 54 percent on all mid-range shots this year that was 96 percentile uh, per, uh cleaning the glass so he was really cream, cream the crop there um mm-hmm. so he was just so impressive there um as far as how he can help the hawks in general um, I think an important area that he can uh, really contribute is that he makes it tough to put big defenders on Trey. Um, you saw in the playoffs with the Sixers, they tried to use uh, Ben Simmons on Trey. Um, teams often will like to try and put a wing, you know, get a bigger defender on him, which makes sense when you're, when you're trying to guard him. Um, but when you have a guy like DeAndre Hunter, often you'll get a favorable cross match. So mm-hmm. if you get DeAndre Hunter matched up with like a 6'4 guard that you know should be on Trey or something like that, um, he can post them up. Um, he can take them off the dribble, and that just makes it a lot harder to use uh, your best defender, even if that's a big wing on on tray. And that just you develop more counters that way. You know, I think an important part of playoff basketball is just having a lot of different counters. You know, if you can have secondary creators that are capable of taking guys off the dribble, that are capable of resetting the possession and creating for others. I mean, that's ideally what you want, and that's sort of the. Uh, you know, ethos that the, the Hawks have had under Travis Schlenk. You know, they have guys like Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter. They want to be versatile on the wings, like with Bogdanovich. Um, so Hunter, I think, just can really shine there as an isolation scorer. Um, so I think that, you know, he needs to improve as a passer. I think that's like a big area. You see it every now and then he'll flash a nice pass, but it's not consistent. So that's really what I'm looking for uh, from him next year because we've seen the scoring increase. Um, so mm-hmm. i like to see him improve there. But, yeah, he's he's a critical piece for them when he's healthy.
1: Yeah, I, again, one of the Atlanta-Charlotte games I rewatched recently, um, it, it was like less sort of like self-creation and more of him just like attacking off advantage, but he was just a, a closeout monster in this game. Just like, it, you know, Trey would draw, draw extra help, kick it to Dre, and he was just like – in the second half, it was just like – there was this stretch of like – Seven's possessions, and it was like on five or six of them, it was just like, yeah. oh, DeAndre attacked a closeout, layup, DeAndre pull up, DeAndre drop off for a dunk to Capella. It was just it was hilarious. And you mentioned his like the face-up ISO ISO, all that game. Again, the flashes of that at Virginia were real. The Tony Bennett ran stuff to get DeAndre these you know, mid-range pick and pop looks out of these blocker mover sets or down on the low block face sets when they would run this inside motion or inside triangle however, however you want to call it um and he was just a killer at that it's no surprise that that has translated and it's just so cool to see the other aspects of his offense come online and then all yeah. of a sudden that mid-range game is now scalable because now you have all of these other cool things and again he's just like you said, he's got a ways to go still in terms of, of playmaking and passing and stuff. But like, man, with that, with with that, with that, with his jumper, with his size, getting to play next to a, a you know, again, just an uber creator like Trey. um, it, it, just stay healthy, man. Just stay healthy. Yeah. He's gonna be a two way monster. Uh for, I a, think, uh, for a long time.
3: I think you made a good point there too, just about attacking closeouts because that's just such an important. You know, aspect of NBA offense now. When you have a mm-hmm. creator like Trey Young, and you know, you know, role men like Collins and Capella, you're just sucking defenders into that middle of the court. Um, so often, you're getting an opportunity on a kickout to where you can, you know, either get to your three or you can grab and go. You just get a lot of opportunities to get downhill, and that's where guys like Hunter just truly shine.
1: Yeah, he's again, he's built for that. And again, you could see that when he was at Virginia he was a little bit dependent on attacking closeouts, going, going right. Um, not like completely, like he could put it in and go left and stuff, but there was some sort of, uh, concern of like, Oh, can he, can he pump and go and and get to his left and, you know, actually like get downhill a little bit. And and again, I think he's, I think this year you're starting to see more of those answers. And again, doing it around Trey, just, it it makes the math real simple sometimes. Um,
3: and he loves that little, that little jab step too. Like that was yeah. a big move for him at Virginia. And I yes. think he's, he's becoming less reliant on that too for, you know, advantage mm-hmm. creation. That's, that goes back to the improved handle, but that's always been a big move for him.
1: Well, yeah. He, he's based off that sort of that like jab rocker step kind of move. Like when he, when he faces up, he can, he, he really can weaponize that. It's fun. It's sort of, it's like old school and very technical um, in, in, a, in a way. Um. Well, let's let's switch over to uh to to another young uh, former ACC forward that happens to be an employee of the Atlanta Hawks as well. Uh, John Collins signed a big extension this offseason, 125 million dollars over 5 years. Um just real quickly first, is this sort of like the money you expected for Collins, like that type of deal 125 over 5 is that in the area that you were that you kind of had in pencil for or is that you know, more or less, where did you land on the Collins extension number?
3: That actually came in like, you know, a little less than I expected initially. You know, I I kept, you know, close tabs, obviously. And some of the reporting have indicated that, you know, teams like San Antonio were interested, had a lot of cap space. I mean, he was one of the more coveted free agents. So I thought there was a decent possibility he could get more than that. You know, like I thought – I thought, uh, you know, something a little less than the max could be, you know, a potential option for him from a team like San Antonio that just had a ton of cap space and uh, presumably yeah. wanted to improve. Um, I think he ended up getting squeezed a little bit. You know, it's tough with restricted free agents sometimes. Um, teams expect the, you know, their their teams to retain them, and that can you tie up money when you when you sign them to an offer sheet. And I think that can be an issue at times. Um, I think that was a fair. I think it's a very fair yeah. market rate. You know. Um, yeah. the, the uh, the fifth year is a player option. Um, if he plays well, he's probably going to opt out of that. So it's really more like you know a four for a hundred kind of deal. And I think you know twenty five million at a, as an, an you know average annual value. I, I think that's very fair for a player like John Collins, who I think is you know roughly a top sixty or so player in the NBA. Um, he's yeah. gotten better every year. He's improved defensively. Um, he's really developed as a three point shooter. Um, He still needs to work on his on-ball skills, you know, just attacking closeouts, making the extra pass, things like that. But he's, you know, one of the best, you know, energy bigs in the league. You know, they've they've had times where they've just been dead, like in multiple games against the Sixers, Mm -hmm. and he energizes them with a big dunk. Uh, He's got to be one of the elite, you know, dual threat pick and roll men in the league, you know, with this ability to to both shoot and uh, roll hard to the basket. So I think it was a, you know, a favorable deal for the Hawks overall. And uh, obviously they, they put a priority on continuity with the success they yeah. had. And uh, he's a very good player.
1: Yeah. Agreed. He's, he's young. He's still getting, he can still, you know, should be getting better uh, 25 a year. Uh, for yeah, he like said in that top it, essentially you're paying him like a top 50, top six, top 60 player, that's perfectly fine. Um, again, he's important to what they're doing right now. And for whatever it's worth, like while, um, and we're about to talk about, uh, and Kongwu a little bit, but while, while he is unfortunately down, Collins is also a guy that, that essentially functions as their backup five too. Right. So like you're getting, you're getting some, like some excess value there as well in your front court rotation, which you're going to go into the season with, you know, looking at just like the four fives. I mean, you can move Hunter around, I guess a little bit too, but really Collins, Capella and Gallinari and, and, and Collins is a guy that can just play minutes for you at, at both spots. You talked about. Um, I, th- I kind of think this is one of the places where, and, and I'm, I'm maybe I'm a little biased because I, I watch the Hornets a lot, but I think you just touched on this with Collins. It's interesting, and it's got me, it's got my wheel spinning a little bit here. Of just like that might be like the next evolution of like role guys are. Um, the the guy that can do everything because you cause like with Charlotte you see this with P J Washington you see this with Miles Bridges it's like they can they can hard roll they can pop they can slip and once you get them into the space they can they can put it on the court they can shoot the jumper they can they can make a little drop off pass it's just like that's that's sort of like the those kind of like space like interior space creators uh in guys that can also again you know pick and pop and shoot from above the break that's yeah. sort of big deal but just having like the optionality of hey when you when you know you're you have this offense that's based around this very very talented pick and roll lead ball handler and you want to be able to surround them with just you want the toolbox just littered with guys that can that can you know are big and athletic and can do all this different stuff but giving guys that can really be you know, screen guys that can screen and then threaten as scores and playmakers is, is a huge deal. And Collins fits, you know, kind of beautifully yeah, into, that, that. into that mold, you know, yeah. um, so it's a
3: more it's a more advanced version of play finishing. You know, you, yes. if, you can, yeah. if you can, you know, dunk, if that's important. If you have a good pick and roll guard, it, just being able to roll hard to the rim to finish is extremely valuable. And that's very yes. efficient team offense. But if you can yeah. also, you know, drop behind three and make shots from back there, then it's even more valuable. So like you said, the optionality is is very valuable.
1: Yeah, and and uh, yeah, and you, like it, it just it's great. And you have a guy like Trey that's already going to draw so much attention, and, and then having a guy like this that can then make it even more difficult for what your backside coverages are doing. You know, depending on how you know if you're, let's say you trap Trey, well, all of a sudden you've got you know four on three, and and you know, do you want that person to stunt that Collins on? You know, if, if he's popping or whatever, it just it all of a sudden you're making a lot of guys have to make decisions defensively, and the Hawks have a lot of good players. Uh, and good offensive players uh, to to really like really puncture at puncture defenses uh, once Trey creates the initial advantage. So, um, all right, I would like to we could talk a little bit more about Collins, but I would actually like to flip over to uh, another. Yeah, stop me if you've heard this one, but a, a, you know another good uh, first round draft pick on this Atlanta roster uh, that I thought had a had a really really nice rookie season out of Southern Cal uh kongwu i was high on them very bullish with him as a prospect i i think i ended up finishing uh i i I loved where they got a kongwu i I just thought he was a phenomenal prospect coming into the draft and it was awesome to see him put up a good rookie season and to like not just play in the playoffs and get those playoff reps but to be good into like this may sound like a small thing but to just Every game against Philadelphia, win those backup center minutes against Dwight Howard. And just like every game, you could count on it. And he got some reps against Embiid, and I mean, that's dealing with a whole other, you know, monster. Um, unfortunately, a uh, Kong you know, it was announced in late July surgery, torn labrum, out six months. Um... I believe, and you can correct me if if I'm wrong on this, but I believe the expected return is is January this season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're yeah. hoping
3: for January. Okay,
1: that sounds good. I mean, there's no there's just no need to rush him back, um, especially a guy like this that I would imagine is probably uh, you know a building block for them in in some way, shape, or form. Um, but I guess I would be curious to know what what do you think is the long term plan for a Kong Wu? They've got Capella. They added two years to his deal. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess in early September. So he signed through 2025. Um, they've we just mentioned they've got Collins extended, um, who can you can is the four but can place a backup five. What did you think about a rookie season and what would you like? Like and and so I guess let's start with this. What did you think about a rookie season? Once you answer that, I'd be curious to know what you think about the long-term sort of like projections for him. Specific to this roster, because there are some guys ahead of him in the rotation.
3: Well, you mentioned liking him as a prospect, and it just seemed like everybody liked him as a prospect. And, you know, I think there is yeah. something for everybody with the Conglu. Like, stacked guys love the uh, advanced stats profile he had film guys loved you know his mobility and the way that he can uh, his 10 defense um, but overall uh, I think his rookie season he just got better and better he, he, he had the slow start I think and it was pretty common for rookies with the COVID uh, offseason and how yeah. that effective, affected things and he also came into the season with the injury as well um, but during the playoffs I, I thought he had some really incredible flashes he had some tough matchups at times um, against Embiid and uh, Giannis where I think he did better than I expected you know that was one of the knocks on him as a prospect was you know how how would he defend guys that – because he's, he's really undersized for a center, as you know. He's about yeah. 6'9", um, doesn't have a great wingspan from what we've heard. Um, so seeing him defend guys like that um, in the playoffs as well as he did was incredibly impressive for a rookie. Um, I, like I said, I, th- I think he got better and better. As far as how he fits into the long-term plans, I mean, I think you can make a case if you squint a little bit that there's some possibility of him becoming their second-best player at some point. You know, and I, don't, I don't think that's mm-hmm. too much of a reach – um, you, you kind of heard the Bam out of bio comparisons at times as a rookie. He doesn't quite have Bam's mobility. And, you know, obviously Bam is just a special playmaker. And we're, we're not sure if, you know, a Congo can even approach those levels, but you can see some yeah. of the similarities. Um, but, I think where he can really distinguish himself from a guy like Capella is just his, his ability to make shots, you know, away from the rim. Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. kind of the thing with Capella, yeah. you know. If yeah. uh, if Capella catches the ball and he's like five feet from the rim, the play, the play is over, you know. He, yeah. He's not yeah. really someone who can make a pass. He can't make a jumper. But, you know, being able to make that, you know, Rashawn Holmes kind of push shot, from mm-hmm. short mid-range is such an important shot for bigs. And that's an area where I think a Congo has a lot of upside. Um, you didn't see a ton of it, but I think he does have pretty good processing for passing. And that's, that's another great. area too. Like there, there might be some short roll upside and that's a, you know, a component of Atlanta's offense that can really use refinement. If you can have a big that, you know, Trey is so good at getting you in that short mid area. You can't always finish. You know, he can't always get you a shot at the rim, but he can get you to the short mid area pretty consistently. So if you can make that extra read and find a shooter or make a shot, that's just you know an incredible value. You know, that's, that's that's an incredibly valuable area of real estate for the Hawks. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that if he develops as a passer. Uh, just becomes an incredible team defender, which you can see at times. Like you know, his ability to come out and defend at the level of the screen. He has really good instincts for when to help. He just seems to always know exactly when he should help defensively, which is you know pretty special for a guy at his age. Um, so I, I can really see the upside case for him as somebody that can improve as a jump shooter, improve as a passer and just be a bedrock of their defense as a versatile defender. You know, somebody that can play a lot of different coverages. Um, yeah. there's just a lot of advantage to having a, a big like that, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about him. Hopefully, uh, he gets fully healthy in January.
1: Yeah. You mentioned just the versatility with how he can, he can guard ball screens. Um, I really like what he showed, uh, there was again a, game, a Hornets game I was rewatching recently, and he had just a, a, a beautiful switch. Bridges Miles Bridges still scored on the play, but like a I mean, it was it was like a, it was scripted. Actually, the Hornets were running, and I mean, in the middle of the play with Bridges, uh, you know, coming off this little uh, staggered look, faking a DHO, and a Kongu just flipped onto him perfectly, like just a uh, just it was small. I know it's just one little switch. But, and, and Bridges still scored, but, I mean, I would have graded, the, I would have given him a very good grade on the play defensively because it was just such a clean move in, in read on his part. Um, so I'm, I'm really bullish on just all the different things you can do with him uh, defensively, uh, even even though he is maybe on the, you know, certainly is on the smaller side for um, a center. And I'm glad you brought up the, the passing and shooting. I think that's the stuff, that that's stuff that, I mean hell, we didn't even have the draft. I mean the draft was like 10 months ago. You know, the 2020 draft was 10 months ago, which is just insane to think about. But um you know, heading into that draft, I feel like the things with the Kongu were, you know, what where does the jump shot eventually land? Where can he be as a as a passer? Um and what that tells me is that I think he really uh, looked good on the stuff that you were expecting him to be strong on this year, right? and the, the mobility the defense uh, the energy plays the ground coverage um, so that I think that's incur- I think I do think stuff like that is encouraging and then you get him in your system get him healthy and then you know pick up uh, and, and build and, and turn him into a guy that you can really uh, play next to Trey and I, I love the thought of him maybe long term being uh, you know one of the perhaps their their second best guy um, it, again there's there's so much talent on this roster but I don't think I don't think that's like a crazy thought to have, despite Hunter, uh, Herder, uh, <laughs> Reddish, wherever you, Jalen Johnson, wherever you land with some of these guys. Um, yeah, Okongwu is is awesome. Um, all right, let's uh, let's flip real quickly to the the wing rotation. Um, we've talked a fair amount about about Hunter, but I would like to touch on two guys: uh, Kevin Herder. Uh, unless I've missed something, there's not been an extension yet for Herder. No, uh, no extension yeah.
3: yet. He's still eligible, and there's yes. a decent
1: chance they make a deal, but nothing yet. I was wondering. And so they have until the start of the season. This would be a, a you know a rookie extension that would kick in after this coming season. They have until the start of this year to get it done. Is there any expectation that that'll happen, or or is it does it seem a little more likely that perhaps this team will go into restricted free agency a year from now with uh, with Kevin Herder?
3: I think uh, probably 50-50-ish, yeah. something along those yeah. lines. I mean, yeah, yeah. They, I think they're willing to offer him like a pretty good four-year deal. Not quite yeah. probably what Bogdanovich got, which is, you know, four for $72 million, um, but something not a lot less. Yeah. Um, but you know, with with the premium on guys with harder skill set and free agency, he may just you know think it's more advantageous for himself to to not sign that yeah. extension and try and chase a bigger deal. But I think there's a pretty good chance they do they do end up extending him 50-50 probably.
1: I, I think that's I think those I think that sounds about right. I mean, he's going to get paid. Like you said, he's going to get paid either way. He's such a good offensive player. You can do. Secondary ball handling, the movement shooting, uh, the size, like he can just do so much for you offensively on the wings. Very, uh, very good uh, young offensive uh, guard. I really like him a lot. Um, And look, here's another guy that I I covered at at Duke, uh, Cam Reddish. Uh, You know, uh, Cam had a a bumpy freshman season when I covered him at at Duke, but the flashes, you could see them, uh, the steal rate the the nba three-point shooting range um you know the obviously some of the like you know the team Mac or paul george create comparisons coming to the draft those were uh perhaps a little much but certainly a good um or an intriguing three and d prospect uh perhaps with some with a little more you know on ball upside too um I would be curious to know, after what was kind of a lost season up until maybe he threw in some buckets uh, in that that Bucks series because Atlanta was just so depleted. He got back into the rotation. Where are you on on Reddish? And um, I mean, I know there's a lot of noise with him as a as a trade possibility. So if you want, you can touch on that too. But just where are you with Reddish um, heading into uh, to, to to year three?
3: Well, Reddish is a pretty polarizing player. He's someone that hasn't been particularly successful, I guess, since high school. I mean, he had really an inconsistent season at Duke, an inconsistent rookie mm-hmm. year, with some flashes, really, until the, the COVID suspension. You mentioned uh, last year was effectively a, a lost season for him, and I would agree with that. He got injured and just never really you know, found his place quite again. He showed up in you know Game Six of the Conference Finals and uh, shot very well. From <laughs> yeah. But uh, with yeah. Reddish, I mean, he's, yeah. he he has special defensive instincts, and I, I think that's really mm-hmm. where the appeal with him begins. Um, we don't quite know how big he is now; and he's probably pushing six nine. Um, he's clearly <laughs> added some mass. Yeah, he's he, he's a big dude. Uh, he's he's clearly yeah. added some mass to his frame, uh, but he has a great wingspan. He makes. Excellent use of his uh, of his link to and passing lanes. Uh, he has really good feel mm. for where the ball is going to be. Um, he's the kind of defender who can gamble um, and then mm. recover. You know, he has the physical skills to recover very well and then anticipate where the ball is going to go next. Um, so he has really special upside there. He's a good defender one through three. Um, They've put him on Kyrie Irving at times. Um, they put him mm. on Kevin Durant at times. He's, he can really defend a lot of different guys. Uh, very special team defender. That's really where uh, the positives begin with him offensively it's just really been a mess for him you know i mean he hasn't yeah. shot well from deep um his stroke is looking consistent at times he has elbow flare um he has periods where he is shooting pretty well from deep but um he turns it over a lot um he's not a great decision maker um he does get fouled at a pretty good rate he, he gets a pretty favorable whistle um he, he plays more like a, a big guard really than a forward you know he has more of a guards game he doesn't have a lot of vertical pop, you know. He has good fluidity. I think that you know he's yeah. probably underrated as an athlete in some ways because he is fast and he's fluid, but um, he doesn't get a lot of lift at the rim, and that shows up in his finishing numbers. Um, so he's really someone that the Hawks will be looking for more consistency for. Uh, from that's what uh, Travis Schlenk has really harped on that they're looking for from. But it's just um, when you look at their rotation, uh, they just have so much talent uh, on the perimeter already. So the expectations for him aren't super high they just really need solid rotation play that's really what they're looking for from him so mm-hmm. if he could deliver that uh it would be a big step in the in the right direction but he's someone that is in somewhat of a tenuous position you know when you look at the talent they have uh, the the owner has already made comments about how they probably can't keep everybody i mean that's just you know kind of being realistic so he's yeah. someone that you know it wouldn't be a surprise if he was traded but uh there's i think there's something there with reddish i've always been relatively optimistic i mean i've never really bought uh, the Paul George comparisons I've always thought you know maybe something more along the lines of like a you know a Houston Rockets Trevor Reza, something yes, like that yes, you know yes, um, that's, exactly. that's what I think you're looking for from him so it's it's a big it's a big year for him clearly
1: yeah I mean you mentioned all of all of those struggles that you just you touched touched on uh beautifully with his offense like it, everyone who watched him at Duke could have predicted that the rim finishing um the the inconsistent shooting stroke it was again he really struggled to finish at the rim finish over guys finish through contact uh when he was during that during that one season in Durham but clearly a lot of talent you mentioned the length and passing lines I think that's really when he's at his best defensively um is when he's doing that stuff and yeah I feel like there was a week this offseason where like I feel like I was catching some of Hawk's Twitter where people were talking a lot about how tall Reddish is now. There's a lot of people like looking at uh, screen grabs. (laughs) Like, you're like, oh, look, he's standing next to Jason Tatum, who's like, you know, this tall. And uh, he's got to be 6'9 now. Um, So I I was enjoying that. It was a funny little uh, thing that popped up uh, this offseason. But um, all right, let's do some quick hitters uh, and get you out of here. Again, uh, really appreciate all the time here. What would you, again, we'll keep these things quick, but. What do you think uh, starting lineup and closing lineup for the uh, the Hawks this season?
3: Well, they have, a, they have different options. I mean, the starting lineup, yeah. I think, is going to be pretty straightforward. It's going to be Trey at the 1, Bogdan Bogdanovich at the 2, DeAndre Hunter at the 3, John Collins at the 4, uh, Clint Capella at the Capella. 5. I think that's yeah. pretty much set. Um, as far as closing lineup, they do have some different options. I mean, Capella, sometimes you want to take him off, and you can put in Gallinari and then play Collins at the 5. Um, mm-hmm. They will close with Capella sometimes. So, really, I would say that – um, it's most likely going to be either Capella or Collins at the five for, for closing, but um, they have a lot of options, you know, sometimes Herder can work yeah. in there. There's just a lot of different guys that can get hot. Lou Williams can get hot and they can close with him sometimes. Um, but yeah, they have, they have a lot of options.
1: Yeah, they, they really do uh, in the, just the versatility of the guys that are, you know, two through four and, and, and really Collins and, and O'Connor being able to play even, you know, Collins being able to play the four to five, will being able to do, give you, do a bunch of stuff at the center position, just, Really incredible versatility uh, on the on the wings on this roster. All right, you may not have something, so I hate to, I hate to put you on the spot like this, but do you have a bold prediction for Atlanta uh, this season, and, and one that you're comfortable sharing on the podcast here?
3: Yeah, I think so. You know, we talked about DeAndre Hunter uh, earlier in the podcast. I mean, he was really a top 75 player in the league, honestly, for the first 20 or so games that he was healthy. A very critical two way piece. I think he's going to build on that this coming season. He appears to be getting fully healthy from a, his knee injury. And I, I think he can make the leap to um, an all-star player in his second year. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the Hawks are going to be pretty good, you know, a three or four seed. I think he's the kind of guy that will garner respect from coaches. And I'll say as my bowl protection uh, that
1: he, he makes the all-stars this year. I love it. And, and I like – I certainly like, it. Yeah, the the prospects of Atlanta perhaps as the top four team in the Eastern Conference. Um, it's going to be competitive in that range, but they – this team could be they're going to be interesting no matter what and they also could be really really good um well look andrew i cannot thank you again uh for your time coming on here uh we really appreciate you uh being a part of the the southeast uh uh southeast division preview with the atlanta hawks anything you'd like to promote here or if you want to tell people where they can follow you on on twitter i know we touched on that at the top but if you want to plug it again here at the end uh the floor is yours
3: yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's it's cool to be in a Hornets spot. I think that they're one of the most fun teams to watch in the league. You know, we've yeah. seen some some really special I think uh, seasons from rookie guards recently. We've had John Moran and Trey, and Trey. I think that you know I know Lamelo had the injury, but from start to finish, I mean, I think he might have had the best rookie season that we've seen among those young point guards in recent years. And I think that says a lot about the talent that he is. So he's a player that you know, in a team that I'm really looking forward to watching next season. You can find me on Twitter, A Kelly, uh, A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L uh, on Twitter. Um, I write for Peachtree Hoops, uh, but, you know, mostly I just, I, I like to fire off the takes on Twitter, have a good time.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, not too much, like not too much
3: content, but, you know.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate
3: yeah. you having me on. I'm looking forward to watching the Hornets uh, next year. I'm a big P.J. Washington fan. I really like the step that uh, Miles Brad just made this past season. and yeah. I like the draft too, so excited to watch them.
1: Yeah, the uh, the I-85 uh, rivalry, uh, Atlanta and Charlotte, there's some really, really intriguing players, uh, young athletes on, on, on both those two rosters. But yeah, make sure you follow Andrew, just great Hawks content on Twitter um, and, and sort of a must follow, I think, really for, for paying attention to what is going to be, could be, you know, one of the top seven, eight, 10 teams in the league next season that's that's getting better and has a, has a ton of good young players and, and and a guy like Trey that they're going to build around and just be um, probably a, a competitive and very good product for a long, long time here. But anyways, uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in to this episode of BuzzBeat. Uh, keep it tuned in, I guess, uh, for more Southeast Division previews on the horizon. See you guys next time.